Well, this morning, um, just um, it's an honor to be able to share God's word with you again. And um, thinking about a sermon I got to share with you all, I think it was back in the end of, end of December. Um, and, um, and so um, it's, not, it's not a follow-up, it's a, but I guess it is. Um, I'm going to be looking at Mark chapter 2 this morning. I want to welcome you. It's so good to be in the house of the Lord together. By the way, just considering <laughs> where our pastor is at, we thought maybe not such a good idea to be hugging necks and um, kissing cheeks. And Okay, we've already been shaking hands, y'all, but, um, but um, we can nod at each other and we can acknowledge each other. We're all here and we're glad to be together. And for those of you online that aren't here with us, um, you're, we are missing you here this morning. Uh, but, but, but it is good to be together uh, to be able to worship the Lord and to be in his word together. So, um, David, I forgot because you asked me what's the title of the sermon and I told you something. Bring them to Jesus. He's like, what's the title of the sermon? It's like, you know, a sermon doesn't always have to have a title. I didn't have one, but since I was pressed for it, <laughs> on the spot, in the hot seat, I was like, bring them to Jesus. And that's what we see happen here in the Gospel of Mark. Um, and so I'm going to read um, this passage to you reading from the Christian Standard Bible. And so, just to set the stage for context, Jesus has just begun his public ministry. He's just called out um, Peter and Andrew, told them they're, they're mending their nets. So I was like, come follow me. Same thing with James and John. James and John left their father and the hired men in the boats to go follow Jesus, and they go into the synagogue. I thought that's interesting too when I was reading through that because... Maybe these guys weren't planning on going to synagogue. They were still out, still out on the lake finishing up. Maybe they weren't clean to go, you know, I mean, not, not like, you know, pure, you know um, purification, you know, ceremonially unclean. Maybe they just weren't ready to go to church, you know. Um, they were just, just finishing up work. But Jesus goes straight into the synagogue, and then later um, he goes home with Peter and Andrew and heals um, Peter's mother-in-law. She jumped straight up and starts serving, serving them. I was like, that's, that's some devotion. You know, it's like she's, she's up cooking and serving, you know, straight out of bed. But the word gets out, the word gets out, hey, there's a miracle man in our village. And so the whole village comes at night. And Jesus is healing. He gets up early the next morning to get away, and um, his disciples go hunting for him. It's like, where's Jesus at? And they find him. He's off praying. He's in a solitary place. And he's like, come with me, guys. We need to go to other places because the other villages need to hear good news too. And so here's the context. Here's the context. They go, and then they're coming back. And so um, Mark chapter 2, verse 1, when he entered Capernaum again after some days, it was reported that he was at home. So many people gathered together that there was no more room, not even in the doorway, and he was speaking the word to them. They came to him bringing a paralytic carried by four men. And since they were not able to bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him after digging through it. They lowered the mat on which the paralytic was lying, and seeing their faith, Jesus told the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. But some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, Why does he speak like this? He's blaspheming. 
Who can forgive sins but God alone? Right away, Jesus perceived in his spirit that they were thinking like this within themselves, and he said to them, Why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Get up, take your mat, and walk. But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he told the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Immediately he got up, took the mat, and went out in front of everyone. As a result, they were all astounded and gave glory to God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. Father, thank you for this word. Thank you for this testimony of this man who was restored because of the intervention, not just of your son Jesus, but the intervention of these four friends. Help us, Lord, to hear your word this morning and to receive it and to obey it. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So as I look at this story, it's first, the first thing that strikes me, Jesus came home. And I've thought about this for years, thinking about this, because, you know, he's a carpenter. Nazareth, his hometown's a small place. So he's learned this skill trade from his father, Joseph, who was also a carpenter. And there, how much carpentry work can there be in one little town? So probably as a carpenter, he would travel where there was work. And that's how he would um, grow in his skill and his reputation, the community. I, I mean, Jesus had to have been an outstanding carpenter. Come on. You know, I mean, he's got son. <laughs> he's got to be good at it. Um, not just because Joseph taught him well. I mean, he made the wood, right? Um, so there you go. Jesus had been a man of reputation already, not just in Nazareth, just because of, of being a good, skilled worker because think about it when when you've got somebody of good reputation taking care of you you what's the, what's the best advertisement it's word of mouth we had our garage door repaired this this week finally six weeks it only took six weeks but I tell you what the repair guy that did it um, he was persistent in um, bugging the powers that be that you know it's like hey I'm really giving you the best deal and and, and, and I really want this job, you know, and, and, he came, and as soon as he got approval, whoosh, he was to our house. And I was like, okay, if this guy was on Yelp or on Google, I'm giving this guy good reviews. Well, there's no Yelp, there's no Google reviews. It's word of mouth. Jesus already had a reputation as a craftsman. Now he's showing something different. He's, he's been baptized. God's affirmed him. This is my son with whom I'm well pleased, listen to him. And so here he is, he's, he's healed a few people, and he's gone to different villages, he's come back, and shoo, people are ready. People are ready for Jesus. But think about this too. It says they came home, and now they say they came home because this is where um, Peter and, and Andrew and James and John are from. Or is Jesus actually living here in Capernaum? And if Jesus is living in Capernaum, where does he live? Does he not live in a house? What if this is actually Jesus' house? 
Well, then you've got to wonder, okay, these guys are tearing the roof off of Jesus' house. I don't know. The Scripture doesn't say, but the Scripture says that he was at home. And so many people gathered together that there was no more room. They flocked to this place where Jesus was at. And so all who gathered here came because there was a spiritual need. Testimony gone out. God is doing something through this man, Jesus. And most people didn't understand what it was God was doing. My goodness, his disciples were with him three years. And we're just now getting, getting to, you know, we've just finished this in John. Jesus telling his disciples, and they're still not sure. They're still doubting. They're still challenging who he is. It's like, don't you guys know me after all this time I've been with you? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And if you don't believe my words, believe the works you see. So here he is. He's doing these works. And many, many have already repented. Many have already gone to be baptized by John in the, in the Jordan. And so there are people who are ready for good news. And there are many who haven't. They're, they just come in to see what's going on. Somebody got healed. This is some crazy stuff. I want to be there seeing. And Jesus, there's so many people in there. They are packed in. And now, you know, we don't pack American homes like they do in other places. Did you, you guys, when y'all were in Rwanda, did y'all go into a packed home? No, no, but, but I guarantee you they have them, you know. I, I know when Pastor Omer goes out, you know, there are going to be lots of people, you know, and, and you know, they, they don't have these space rules like, you know, the three-foot circle, don't get in my bubble. I mean, it's, I mean, your nose is in somebody's armpit, right? Um, we, well, you know, I went to one house church last summer, and there were 50 people packed into a two-bedroom apartment for church. And they couldn't all fit, so they had a zoom, the zoom, zoom open so other people could Zoom in, you know? This is like, house church, and they were packed in, and it was hot, y'all. Uh, even though the air condition, they had air conditioning, it was overtaxed. I mean, with 50 people in there, it's hot. All these people are packed in. How else could somebody who needed to hear Jesus, need to be with Jesus, how else could they get to him? Something else I see, too, in these people, most, if not all, really need forgiveness that Jesus extends to this paralytic man. He does it with this paralyzed man, but really, they are all in that place that they need God's grace and they need his forgiveness. And so one thing I think is really cool is when this paralyzed man is healed, that his walking, his physical ability is restored, is that it is a witness to everybody that the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins. Nobody left that well. Nobody should have left that room with any doubt in their mind. But we know they did because we have the scribes there. Now, I think it's remarkable that they didn't speak out. This isn't the point of openly challenging Jesus yet. It's still a curiosity. He's still just starting his ministry. They're still not sure what they're seeing. But they're thinking. The place of thinking and testing in the mind and in the heart, is God really at work here? Do we do that? When we see God working, do we question in our heart, is God really working here? Is this God? And then this guy says something outrageous. Your sins are forgiven. 
And you know, it's interesting too because one of the things Jesus teaches his disciples is anyone you forgive, God forgives also. But if you don't forgive, they will not be forgiven. What do we do with that? That's a hard teaching. Jesus conferring some of his authority onto us because as he's leaving his disciples and he gives the great commission, he says all authority in heaven on earth, in heaven and on earth have been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, all ethnicities. Baptizing them. Baptize them in my name, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to observe everything I've taught you. Teach them to obey. Teach them to follow like I taught you. And I'm with you everywhere you go. Even to the end of age, I'm with you. So there are some barriers for this paralyzed man. And these are very real barriers. These aren't just barriers of the mind. Well, first of all, there's a timing barrier. You see, Jesus, Jesus was out healing, and then he left because other places needed to hear good news too. So when Jesus comes back, guess who's ready? Somebody was watching and waiting for Jesus. They know where he lives, so they know where to watch. And they're watching, they're waiting, they're hopeful, they're expectant. They've seen Jesus move already, or they've at least heard of others who were healed. They're expectant. But when's Jesus coming back? Nobody knows. But there's an expectation, right? They had to watch and wait. Doesn't Jesus tell us to watch and wait? To be ready? Well, there's a physical barrier. What is the physical barrier? Well, first of all, the, the, the main physical barrier is the house itself. Jesus isn't out in the open preaching. He's not, this isn't the Sermon on the Mount. He came home. He, he got waylaid at home. <laughs> it's like you think, okay, I've been out preaching in these different places. You know, it's like I'm ready to go home and put my head on a pillow and be in my own bed. And no, it's like they're in his house. The physical barrier of the house itself, it limits those who have access to Jesus. And then there's the doorway. There is access, but it's a small portal. Only one person or two people at a time can walk through. And when the place is full, the place is full. There's not a back door. There's not a side door. There's not a garage door that works or doesn't work. It's the front door. What physical barriers do people have right now to seeing Jesus? Could our building be a physical barrier? And I'm not saying it is, but it's a question to ask. You know, it's like, well, we're not up here 24-7. Well, so, okay, people in our community can anticipate the rhythm, rhythm of our community. We're here on Sunday mornings. The doors are open on Sunday mornings. And the doors are open on Wednesday nights. But this isn't the only place we encounter Jesus, is it? Don't we have our own homes, our own workplaces, our own community that we go home to? So Jesus is not limited by this physical space. This is not the only place where ministry happens in the life of this church. 
If they're going to see Jesus, they have to see him in a different way. If they are not here, where will they see Jesus? In our community of faith. Well, there's a social barrier for this paralytic as well. Too many people between him and Jesus. And you know, this is for us too. We are busy people. We have busy lives. And, uh, and there's always people in front of us. There's people at work. There's people at Walmart. There's people at Tom Thumb. There's people everywhere. There's people at school. There's always people. People are moving. People are, uh, people are standing still when they should be moving. That was my experience at the airport, picking up international students. These guys have been on plane for 30 hours coming from India to Dallas, and they've had missed flights, and then they've got to stand in line forever to get through passport control, and then they've got to wait for the bags to come down. They've got to find out their bags aren't even here because there are labor strikes in Europe, and these guys are exhausted, and the last thing they want is a line at the stupid toll plaza to get out and get on campus, and yet... People are everywhere. People are blocking us from getting to people that need Jesus. And yet, who was in this house with Jesus? They all needed Jesus. Every last one of them needed Jesus. Do you feel overwhelmed? Do you think maybe Jesus felt overwhelmed? It doesn't say that, but you know, um, chapter 1 He does a kind thing and heals this leper man, and he tells him, don't tell anybody. Go to the priest and show yourself clean. Present yourself clean as a testimony to what God has done. No praise to me. Give praise to God the Father. And yet that's not what the man does. He goes and he tells everyone, so Jesus can't go into cities anymore. He's limited. Every time somebody, when Jesus tells them, don't tell when they tell, they're they're limiting, that, that testimony limits access to Jesus for others. And this is just one of our human realities. So here it is, a social barrier to Jesus. Too many people, there's almost 8 billion people in the world. How do we reach them all? Only the Father can prepare somebody to be ready. But we also need the Father to give us wisdom on who's ready and when. But also, take some persistence. Thank God the friends didn't give up, right? Thank God these friends were persistent. It's one more barrier I see, and it's a cultural barrier. You see, this paralyzed man was considered to be in his paralyzed state because of sin. Maybe it was his, his sin, maybe it was something that was done to him by somebody else, but there's a shame on him because of his sinful condition. The paralyzed condition was a result of somebody's sin, and so he is treated with less dignity than other people because of this sin condition. The sinful state. Not that he's actively sinning. I, I, you know, I, I mean, he could have sins of the heart and mind, but I mean, what kind of sin could he, and his physical condition, he's really kind of limited in his scope of what he could do that's really offensive to somebody unless his condition itself is offensive. Do we have people like that in our community? 
What about immigrants who come here without the lawful right to be here? I'm so grateful to this church. We don't ask questions. We devote Wednesday nights during the school year to serving the immigrant community, people who need Jesus, and they need our language. Why not give them both? Why not serve them in this way? We do that. Thank you, church, for doing that. So here's a cultural barrier. What about people in the LGBTQ community? It's not our place to judge. We don't have to. And, you know, do you really have to tell somebody their life is not pleasing to the Lord for them to have already guessed that of us, that we as Christians hold that view? That's no surprise to them. There's no great revelation, but I tell you, there is a great revelation when we show dignity and respect and love towards them for their humanity and not for their choices, but just for their humanity. What about those who have been incarcerated or those who are dealing with the legal system? Robbie, what you do with, with fathers, focus fatherhood, and how you're showing dignity and respect and hopeful expectation for these men, that there's an expectation you can step up and be a good father to your son. You've got to want it. You've got to desire it. So let's set the bar high and let's aspire to this together. What a beautiful ministry. That's happening in our church, you guys. It's amazing. Let's push these cultural barriers aside and just let people see Jesus. So these four, these four friends, they intervene. And what, what, is it that, what is it that they did? Uh, so what they did was loving. What they did was intercession. They are interceding for their friend. They are stepping in between. They're finding a solution. They are determined for their friend. They are undeterred. They are coordinated in what they do. They didn't do it by themselves. One man couldn't have drugged this friend. And figure this, okay, this is ancient times, and people are probably my stature but not my build, you know what I'm saying? Um, This man was probably 90 to 100 pounds tops, right? And I mean, if, if that, because if he's paralytic, he's got atrophy in his legs. He doesn't have developed muscles. He's probably sticking bones. Still takes four to get them to Jesus. They had to coordinate, and they had to be creative. They didn't let obstacles stop them. And, you know, what was it that they thought of this man, this paralyzed man? He was beloved. They genuinely loved and cared for him. He was worthy because he is God's son. He's an image bearer of the creator. He's probably family, too. I mean, in a a small town like Capernaum, everybody's got to be related some way or another. He's family. We look out for family. He deserves it. We're not to judge the sinful state. He deserves it because of his human condition, not his sinful condition. But he was also impeded. He had physical limitations. He could not get to Jesus himself. Now, Jesus could have come to him, but what a beautiful thing for these friends to intercede and bring him to Jesus. Can we not do that? He was also judged, misunderstood, treated shamefully. Consider, if there's nothing else we get out of the gospel, we get the 
great commandment that Jesus taught us. Rabbi, what is the greatest of God's commandments? Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second commandment is just like it. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. And then Jesus' last words to his disciples, I've taught you to love as I love. I've taught you to love with the Father's love. Now go. Find other followers. Lead them to me. Do the things I've taught you to do. I've given you the pattern. And Jesus told his disciples too, the things you've seen me do, you will do greater things because I will send the Holy Spirit to empower you, to empower your witness, to lead you where to go to, to lead you to those that I've prepared for the gospel, to lead you through hard times when those who are not ready and yet you need to be persistent because love compels you to be persistent. The Holy Spirit will give you the words to say. He'll remind you of everything I've taught you to say. He'll give you the words in the moment that you need them. We need to hear that. And we need to be filling our minds and our hearts with his words continually. So when the Holy Spirit leads us, he has the raw material of God's word to build on. If you haven't heard God's word, he can't remind you of it, right? We've got to immerse ourselves in it. But we've got to be sensitive to how God will lead. And sometimes we, we know it's a quiet voice. Are we tuned to a quiet voice, especially in such a loud, crowded world that the, the crowds can push out the voice of Jesus? Could these five men, the paralyzed man and the four who interceded for them, could they hear Jesus on the outside with so many people crowding them out? Somebody has to push through. Somebody has to be compelled by love and compelled by obedience to God's commandment. So considering the great commission and considering the great commandment of Jesus, if you don't love them, who will? But can I ask you this too? If you do love them, who else will love you? Because you see, we don't do this alone. We can't do this alone. That's why we need each other. That's why Jesus forms the church. No man builds the church. Jesus establishes his church. We need each other. So if you love somebody, do I love them too? Well, I love you. So my love for you compels me to love the people you love. So if you don't love them, who will? But if you do love them, who else will? If you don't intercede, who will? And intercession is prayer. Intercession is also putting prayer into motion, faith into motion. Interceding is very active. It's not passive. So many people turn to Jesus because of prayer and the Spirit preparing them. You see, how many of these people were ready to hear Jesus because John had proclaimed a gospel of repentance? Turn! Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Don't we have that same call now? Repent! Turn to God because he is near right now. And if you don't disciple, who will? 
You know, the days of Sunday school really working, I think those days have passed. But you know, a hundred years ago, Sunday school was a new thing. It wasn't something churches did. Sunday school was kind of a radical thing that some churches resisted. School on Sunday for teaching people how to follow Jesus. It, it was new. It wasn't the way things had always been done. Is there a new way? Do we have to be determined to do something different? It's interesting that one of the things we're teaching students on university campuses is not just to invite people to church, and everybody that comes to the Baptist Student Ministries is compelled. We tell them, you need to find a local church to plug into. But they're, not, they're told, too, not just to wait for church to happen, for ministry to happen on the campus. The gospel has to be happening on the campus. And so they're doing discovery Bible studies in the dorms and in their apartments. They're not waiting. Well, we do house to house. But where else can we be doing this? Can we be doing this on, on our lunch breaks, on a lunch hour. That's one of the things that, that's been, been done in, in London. These guys, no place left behind. One of the things that they're doing is like, how do we carry the gospel into the workplace? And so they're sending missionaries into companies to find opportunities to engage with people and invite them to hear good news, to invite them to be in, in God's word. And the Discovery Bible Studies, it's interesting We've been doing the Discovery Bible studies in our house to house. It's four questions. You read the scripture and you ask the question. You don't have to be a believer to be able to answer these questions. What does this story tell us about God? What does this story tell us about people? What do I need to change in my life if this story is true? And who else needs to hear this story? That's not hard. We're, we're equipping university students with this, and this is what's being done on the mission field. It's being done in China, it's being done in India, it's being done in Iran and Azerbaijan, it's being done and to great effectiveness. You can ask four questions after reading in scripture. We, sometimes we make things too complicated with programs and with structure. But let's not let this be a barrier to people hearing good news and being discipled. Here's something else that's I think I said this last time, I'll say it again. You don't have to wait for somebody to pray the sinner's prayer to start discipling them. If they're ready to hear God's word, you're already discipling. When did the disciples get saved? It doesn't say. The Bible doesn't say when they got saved. It said they followed. We know when they started following. So we can do that. Here's a barrier removed. And here's a wild thought. Can God use unbelievers to reach unbelievers with the gospel? That's something that's happening on our campuses too. We're just inviting students to be involved in the life of the Baptist student ministry. And it's like anybody who wants to come can come. And we're discipling. We're teaching. We're doing mission on campus together. We're not waiting for somebody to pray a prayer to commit them to getting involved because there's so much good in the gospel that people can identify right now is there social justice that needs to be done that's the gospel jesus came to proclaim freedom for the prisoner sight for the blind restoration that's social justice so when somebody's talking about social justice we don't have to be offended we have to say hey we got a book about that right 
They don't have to pray a prayer to be useful to God. Who knows where these four men that carried the paralytic... And by the way, I've been saying men, haven't I? The scripture actually doesn't say they were men. It just said four. The crowd came and four of them carried the paralytic. The gospel's not limited in that cultural fashion either. So I'll tell you this story... Um, this is something we're doing, just sharing the gospel through social media in Azerbaijan. This happened about a year and a half ago that we had somebody that write to us and he wanted um, prayer and he wanted to talk to somebody about Jesus. He wanted the scriptures. And so we sent one of our local friends to go meet with him. His name's Rustam. Rustam hears the gospel. And Rustam gets excited and he's like, my friend Tokrul needs to hear this. Okay, well, let's set up a meeting with Tokrul. So, so Rustam got, got the evangelist in touch with, with, with Tokrul, and he goes and he meets with him. Tokrul's like, this is great. I've been waiting to hear this about Jesus. You know who needs to hear? My friend Esker. Let's call him. He call him right now. They didn't wait to schedule an appointment. They call him. Esker comes. And instead of the evangelist sharing, guess who shared the gospel? Tokrul shared the gospel with Esker. Is he a believer yet? He's believing enough in the goodness of Jesus to tell his friend. Now here's three guys, three friends that can follow Jesus together. That's the power of the gospel. Sometimes we limit the gospel because we put these extra rules on it. Who gave this guy the authority to forgive sins? Jesus said, so that you know that I have authority to forgive sins. Let me show you. Get up and walk. Take your mat. Go home. You know, too, sometimes we can be discouraged because we look. Um, this church isn't filled as it was in the past. And we can be discouraged that there's limited numbers, and we can long for the day that we see this sanctuary packed with multiple services and people coming. And I, and I think that day can come again. But you know, churches, churches typically grow in three, three ways. The number one way churches in America grow is generational growth. And let's be honest, those of you who raised your children in this church, they've moved, they're in other churches. And that's a good thing. We've blessed many have gone out from this church. You know, we, we run into people all the time that used to go to Prairie Creek. They're in other churches. I mean, the Metroplex is a big place, and so is Texas. And, and our children aren't just in Texas. They've gone every which way. That's not a failure. We've been faithful in the past, and our, our children are in, in church in other places. That is a success of this church. So generational growth is the main way churches go, but when generations leave, we're still here. Another way this church, churches tend to grow is transfer growth, and we're always so glad to receive new people in the church that come from other churches, and there are many different reasons people come. We relocated from North Carolina, so it's like, well, obviously we can't keep going to church in North Carolina, not even once a year. We love that church. I, if we're back in North Carolina, we know we're in church. We're, we're at a church. If we're in San Antonio, we know we're going to be a church at. But we're here, and you are our community. Thank you. 
We're, we, we, the Currys, are glad to be transfer members of this church. But the number one way the church grows globally, and I think we need to catch a vision for this, is conversion growth. And I think it's the desire of all of us to see people coming to Jesus. But you know what? People come to Jesus means there's going to be a lot of people, and not all of them, all of them are here for Jesus. How do we find that? How do we go after that? We're not limited to the constraints of our, our programs or our schedules or our buildings. What we have is the freedom to work through our relationship networks because all of us have families, all of us have neighbors, all of us have friends, all of us have coworkers. And more important than growth of this church is faithfulness. The faithfulness of these four friends to bear their friend to Jesus, to, okay, we can't push through the crowds, we'll go over them. It's like going on a bear hunt, right? I'm sorry, I couldn't resist. Can't go, yeah, yeah. Moving on, (laughs) y'all. So let me ask you this question. Who is your paralyzed person? Who is that person that can't get to Jesus on their own? And, And the thought that, well, there's a church on every corner is not a reason. The barriers are real. Whether they're physical barriers or cultural or psychological, the barriers are real. And we need to be about the business of burying our paralyzed friends. They could be paralyzed with fear. They, what if I go into church, I'm rejected? Some of them do go into churches and experience rejection. What, what if I, I, I don't know what to do, you know, I, I don't know the rituals, I don't, I don't even know what time to show up. Oh, there's the website. It's like, we can't, we can't, we can put all the signs out there we want. We can put, we can put bigger and better banners out here on 15th Street, but that's not what's going to draw people into relationship. It's us. So who is your paralyzed person that can't come to Jesus on their own? What are the barriers? And who's your team of four? So I got introduced to a man that I've not talked to yet named Ruslan. And um, Ruslan's story is interesting. He's been in Toronto, he and his family, trying to get um, asylum. He's an Azerbaijani that was seeking political asylum in Canada and um, was rejected. But while he was there, almost no English, um, Ruslan, um, he finds the most unlikely of all people to help him to find Jesus, an Armenian man. And if you know anything about Azerbaijanis, people from Azerbaijan, Azerbaijanis and Armenians hate each other with a blood hate. They hate each other. And here is this evangelical, Jesus-loving Armenian man in Toronto, Canada, being Jesus to Ruslan and his family. And he can no longer bear Ruslan because Ruslan's family's been deported back to Baku. But guess what? Ruslan shows up in Houston, and then from Houston, why? And I don't even know the whole story. <laughs> We're still figuring this out. Ruslan is on his way to Charlotte, North Carolina. Guess what? We know people in Charlotte, North Carolina. We can make contact with Ruslan out um, so this Armenian brother, Zare, mobilizes his friends. Who does he know? 
Hey, I know Stephen in Texas. Stephen in Texas knows Jim in Charlotte, who Jim lived in Azerbaijan for several years before we ever got there. And then there's a brother, Orphan, in Philadelphia that has no physical access to him, but he knows the language and he loves Jesus too. And so here's Ruslan's team of four that he's met one of them. And so I have Ruslan in a little box here. Who's your Ruslan? And Ruslan's just my Ruslan for the moment. You know, we'll, we'll bear him as, as far as we can. I don't know what will happen of it, but, um, but I'm, I'm praying for Ruslan, and so is a community of other people. Uh, but we're going to do what we can to bear Ruslan to Jesus. And I love what Zare says. He's not a believer yet. Oh, thank you, Zare. Thank you for interceding for Ruslan. Who's your Ruslan? So you got a card. Who's your paralyzed person? Will you take a moment? Maybe you know. Maybe it's a grandchild who needs Jesus. That's going to take special intervention. Maybe it's a neighbor or coworker. Who's your paralyzed person? Who cannot carry themselves to Jesus for whatever the barrier it is? And think about those barriers. And as you write that name on the card, would you prayerfully consider who your team of four is? You need two or three other people. They could have done it with three, I think. One on each side and, you know, maybe two. But more is better. Maybe one person, all they can do is pray. But they know you're praying for Ruslan. Will you pray too? Maybe, the, maybe you need a, maybe there's a shared interest. You know, I, I don't care much for heavy metal music, but I know who does. I can't talk heavy metal with Ruslan or whoever's on your card, but I know who does. I need to get these guys talking. I, yeah, I listen to heavy metal. Sorry, y'all. <laughs> I could talk it. Not many of those. Maybe they're into gaming. Oh, well, you know, hey, um, pastor's not the only one in the church that, that lo- loves to game. What are some connections? What are some introductions you can make to deepen a relationship? One thing um, they teach church planters when they're engaging new people and inviting new people to church, they teach church planters actually a method learned from realtors. They teach them it takes six to stick. And what realtors know is you need at least six contacts with somebody so on the off chance that they're ready to sell a house, you're the person they think of, and you're the person they call. And when they call, it's, not, it's going to be so hard to find their phone number because it's going to be on the stupid fly swatter. And I was like, who needs a fly swatter with a realtor's name on it? Who's got one? Who's got a fly swatter with a realtor's name? Or a calendar, the magnet calendars, or, you know, um, six to stick. We give up too often on, on one or two encounters. Take six to stick. Well, my friend John Marthodi with BSM hit me with a, a, a much more staggering number. And this is, this statistically is what is the case for international students. They say that for international students who come to the United States to study in university, uh, for those that turn to Christ, they've had on average 18, one eight, 18 encounters with a believer. 
That's determination. And I tell you what, John Rothody, that guy's working his rear end off. He had somebody call him at 1.30 in the morning. Hey, I didn't know who else to call, but somebody gave me your phone number. I need a ride from the airport. Guess what? We're not doing pickups at 1.30 a.m. That's not in our schedule, and they're told. But this guy needed a ride, and somebody gave him John's number. Well, who else has John's number? There's a lot of people have John's number. Who has your number? Are you somebody that can be called? I, I know the character of, of all of you. I, I, I tell you, you are all people that can be called on. There are people that have your number. So, do you have a name? That's my invitation to you this morning. So you take just a moment to pray for those on, on, your, on your card. Um, just get with a neighbor. And if you don't have a name to put on the card, then pray together just that God would tell you to put on this card. Maybe you need to go home with a blank card because Ruslan hasn't popped up yet. Ruslan's name just popped up yesterday for me. Maybe that card needs to be blank. We, let's take just a moment. Just get with a neighbor. Pray for your card, whether your card has a name on it or not. Jesus, we need you to come home. There are people waiting for you. Jesus, will you make your home with us, with this church, with this community of people who want to follow you with all our being? And Jesus, we want our community to know we're committed to serving, but you know we, we are so few. Jesus, you told us to pray to the Lord of the harvest that many more workers be thrust out into the harvest because it is ready. Lord, for those who are ready, help us to be ready, not just with our schedules and our church programs and our open doors, but help us be ready with your words, with your love, with your grace. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I give you one more invitation. So this time of invitation, so we'll have, um, we'll have friends in the back, here in the back corners. Maybe you need to ask Jesus. I'm ready to follow. And I'll tell you that here's a community of people. We are ready to bear with you. We are ready to carry you to Jesus. We're ready to follow. We're ready to walk with you. And we don't do this alone. But maybe you need extra prayer for God to just help you in this. So we'll take a moment. We'll just take a moment. Um, and so there'll be some in the back to pray with you and to encourage you. And um, I think we're ready. It's a good time. Yeah, thank you, Ron. So we invite you to come.